Good morning, good morning. Ephesians, first chapter. We're going to look at the 20th verse this morning. Ephesians, the first chapter, the coronation of a king, power on high, the coronation of a king. I, uh, working with a little bit of handicapped here, I think I've got last week's bulletin this morning, but that's all right. We're, uh, we're going to work through it. <laughs> so it only means that, and I make this joke every week, you got to laugh at it or I'm going to say it every time. It only means that the sermon's going to be two hours long this morning. <clears throat> I know it's not funny when it's not a joke, is it? I apologize in advance a little bit for my um, my voice this morning. We had a football game Friday night, and we were out in the rain and cold for three hours. And I think it's I'm not uh, I can't uh, suffer that quite like I used to. Ephesians one twenty. Let's um, let's read a, just a little bit of this, and we'll pray and get right into this this morning. Let's begin at uh, verse fifteen and read through the end. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, or towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him. That's what this great little section builds on, that Paul wanted them to have the knowledge of God, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know which is the hope that you've been called. What are the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints? What are the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? according to the workings of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, and not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is us, beloved, his body, the fullness of him. We are the fullness of him in this place who fills all in all. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, as we come this morning, I'm just so thankful for the goodness of these people that gather each week to hear your word preached, to come together to show their love for one another and their faith in you and to learn more of who you are and the goodness and the grace of your mercy. Father, you're doing a work in us that we couldn't do ourselves, and we praise you for that. I ask this morning as we begin to work in these words this morning, this, this glorious 20th verse, that gives us an understanding, Father, of your resurrection and then your ascension to the right hand on high. Father, may these things be for the building up of the body. Every day we go out into this world and we see the death and disease and destruction. and We need life and we need goodness and we need hope. Bring hope and goodness and encouragement to our hearts this morning through these few words. Father, enliven us to the glory of the gospel. Give us encouragement to do the things we need to do through the week to come, to praise you in the way that you've called us to do, to, to love our families and to do our work, and to make our long track towards home. Father, do that work through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Oh, beloved brethren, where shall the Lord take us this morning? That's, uh, that's the truth. Each one of these passages, are so, there's so much here, uh, so rich, what the Apostle Paul's written uh, for the building up of the church and the encouragement of the believers this morning. Uh, these things, as we understand them in our hearts, literally give us life. What glorious content these few verses 
behold as we work our way through the first chapter of the epistle to the Ephesians. And of course, we benefit today no less than these first century believers did. Um, for the church is the eternal presence of Christ our Lord in this place, and he fills us. Literally, he fills us and sanctifies us so that we can live in this place. And not only so that we can live in this place, but so that we can fill this place, this dark world, with the great love of Jesus. What a glorious truth, right, beloved, that we are those who are filled with Christ, and we fill this place with Christ. Not only this place, this building, but this place, this world. Beloved, Paul earnestly prays that these believers be filled with the knowledge of God because that is where we tap into the source. And I just get in by way of remembrance and review as we build to verse 19 and 20 here this week, I just want to review these things just briefly. Paul says in verse 15, he begins to pray, For this reason, because I've heard of your faith and your love and the uh, love faith in Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints. Those two things mark out the Christian. Paul looked at this church in Ephesus. He knew the work he had done in preaching the gospel. And the gospel went out and it literally changed people from dead to life. It's the most amazing miracle on planet earth today is that dead men going and fit for hell can be turned and be made alive through the preaching of the gospel, through your words of sharing the gospel. Maybe it's with a family member. Maybe it's with a coworker. Maybe it's with a person that you just, something has tugged on your heart to speak with this person. But your words can do that through the power that is in the gospel. So Paul prays. He had seen this take place. And it's miracle of miracles when it takes place. It encourages all of us when this happens, when we see it, when we see a baptism, when we hear of a person giving their life over. It encourages each one of us. And Paul was encouraged, but he did not want them to stop there because this world is a dirty, dark place that takes everything that we can get to get through it. Even knowing that we have total victory, which is what we're going to talk a little bit about this morning, that Christ was raised from the dead, his resurrection, and that in his resurrection, he was ascended on high to the highest of highs where he reigns over everything and the death and the devil has been destroyed, the dragon has been slayed, and yet we still need this daily encouragement. Paul wanted them to understand that there was more. So he says in verse 16, I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, so that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that in knowing God and knowing his word and hearing it preached, that you may get a better understanding of who God is, that you may truly understand what he is, who he is, and what he's done on your behalf. And he says that works out as verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Literally, this truth, this light comes into your, your heart, which is the scriptural word here for your soul, so that your very soul is infused with this light. That's what Paul is praying for, so that you may know fully the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Not only his glorious inheritance in us, but our inheritance with him, which is heaven, it's life, it's all those things now, presently, in this time and in this place. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? We talked about that power last week, the power of God that surpasses anything that we can even fathom. But it was motivated by what? 
his love, that he's able to keep every promise to us. He's not like one of the politicians that we hear that make these promises over and over that he's going to bring peace and, and, and racial justice and soothe all the infighting. They can't do that. They can't bring that, no matter how much they promise that, but God can and he will. And indeed, from his eyes looking down to us, he already has. And that's the life the believer needs to live in. That God is doing those things among us. And then we build to this week, to the 20th verse. To the 20th verse, to these two grand truths, the resurrection and the ascension. And this is proof positive that God was pleased with with Jesus' sacrifice and he brought him up out of the grave. He's alive and he's alive forevermore and he's at the right hand of the Father. You see that there in verse 20 as we read this. I'll go back and get the little end of verse 19. According to the working of his great might, because this is the working that God's doing, he's bringing salvation, that he worked first in Christ when he raised him from the dead and he seated him in the right hand of heavenly places. Oh, but that is the promise for us too, that he's going to put us in heavenly places. We'll get to that in chapter 2, that he's going to raise us from the dead and seat us at the right hand. There along with Jesus Christ, we will be with those of all the ages that have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ in the gospel. He is seated there at the right hand of the heavenly places, and it says in verse 21 that this place is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age of come. So this is why we gather. This is why we sing. This is why we fellowship with one another, those who we love, because we celebrate the covenant of redemption that the Lord has made with his son Jesus and that Jesus has purchased our forgiveness and salvation on our behalf by shedding his blood on the cross of Calvary. Here we have the blessed hope of victory only found in Christ and the great love that hath moved our God from heaven to condescend down into the earth to man to redeem those whom he had elected before the foundation of the world in Christ. This passage begins with the great truths of the resurrection of Jesus. We don't have to wait till Christmas, right? We don't have to wait till Easter to talk about the resurrection. We live resurrected lives because we serve a resurrected king. And the pleasantness and the happiness of the Father to bring the Son from out of the grave because he had done all that was necessary in bringing many sons to glory. That the failure of all man, that is sin, stood between God and man, just as Genesis 3 tells us and portrays, that that great dragon who was more crafty than any beast of the field, he did approach the first man, Adam, and his newlywed wife, Eve, there in the garden to make them unsure of the goodness of God. Hey, you ever become unsure during the week, during your darkest times that God's not good? We all do that, don't we? We all fall down just a little bit and wonder. We all see the darkness all around us and think that it may be too overwhelming, but we be assured every week, week in and week out, that all of God's promises are true. It's easy for that dragon to get in our ear because we've been sinful in the past. He uses that as great leverage against us. He says, oh, you're not worthy. You're not good enough. You failed again, right? And that's what he did. He made us question God's word. He did that to the first man, Adam, and our first mom, Eve, and sin came into the world. He asked them, did God say? Did God say? Questioning the unquestionable Holy One is what he was doing. 
He was testing the metal of the first man, Adam, and his obedience and love for God. And here is a certain truth that each day we fail to love God to the extent that God deserves our love. Each day we fall short of that, beloved. But thus we find in the first man, Adam, our federal father, our collective father of us all, the same weakness we see in ourselves, and that is sin. It is that sin, that disobedience to God, that brought sin into the whole world. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin spread to all men, because all sinned. And it's coming, condemning all for death and had spread to all men, because all men would follow well, along improving their same ability in nature to sin, as was in Adam. The sin comes the grand curse. Uh, the grand, uh, if you will, the grand uh, truth the dragon has, and that is death. For the wages of sin is death, Paul writes in Romans six twenty three. But listen, beloved, there's great hope. There's great hope, and we see that in the vision this morning, Christ's resurrection, because the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear the strength of death because we have a free gift that is worked out by God in the eternal life of Christ Jesus our Lord. And it was here that the man found and fell hopeless. He was utterly helpless in this condition before God, this condition of sin. And beloved, this is the strong, strong thing that the devil has over us, right? He has that, hangs out that, that dread of death that's coming. We're estranged with no power to be able to change the evil world around us. We're estranged from God in our sin and unable to do the things that we need to do to make ourselves palpable or good enough before God. But enter our champion, Jesus Christ, our Lord, onto the scene. He is powerful enough. For it was salvation. Do you see it there in verse 20? It says, or in the end of verse 19, that God was working out when he raised Christ from the dead by his mighty power. It was salvation. It was the victory over all evil. It was the defeat of death. And even as scripture will tell us this morning, it was the defeat of the dragon, the holder of death. It was the total and utter defeat of the dragon. I call him the dragon all the time because scripture calls him that. We need to learn to slay the dragon in our lives and it is the dragon that has already been slain on our behalf through the work of Jesus Christ. When we are tempted by sin in this world, we need only know that the scripture tells us again and again that that sin has already overcame in our behalf, that the victory is already won, that it is us that allows the devil to work his work in us and that we could push him away and resist him and he will flee That is, that the resurrection of Christ from the dead was the death blow to the one who held power over death. The destruction of the destructor. The desecration of the dragon. Here's the proposition for you this morning. The one who was raised from the dead is the one who delivers the dead from death. Let me say that one more time. The one who was raised from the dead is the one who delivers the dead from death. That is, that Christ came to destroy death. And I, I, I bid you to see that the fullness of Scripture teaches us that. Just a few verses this morning as we go through these. 1 John 3.8. John is talking about sinning and those who are sinning being of the devil. He goes in verse 8 and he says this absolutely fantastic statement. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. He said, but this is the reason the Son of God has appeared. 
was to destroy the works of the devil. Past tense. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. He appeared to destroy the works of the devil. That's what Christ did. He not only appeared to destroy the works of the devil, but those works are sin and death. And by his appearing and, and his condescension from heaven to be born by means of the virgin birth, to be born without a sin nature, to live a life and be tested by every sin and the same means that we were tested with, yet to remain sinless so that he, Jesus, could offer himself as a substitute on our behalf, taking on our sin upon himself and suffering on the cross of Calvary, the punishment that we so justly deserve, so that God can pardon your sin due to his righteousness being imputed to your life. That's how God can be just and the justifier. He's the justifier because he sent his son to perform a work that we could not perform on our behalf. But it was a requirement that he required. So he is just in the fact that he has punished his son. Our sins are not just forgetting or removed. It's not like a, a, a popular a loan program that was just announced, like that money just evaporates or that debt just evaporates. No, that debt is sin that has to be paid for. God is holy. God is just. Listen, if you could just pay God off like a corrupt judge and allow him and him allow you to slip into heaven, that would not be a God that we could trust. But God is the just and the justifier because not only did he require the payment that was to be made, but he brought the payment that was to be made on our behalf so that it could be paid for on our behalf and he could be just because sin is paid for and allow us to be in heaven with him because we are made righteous by the one who paid our debt. That's the transaction that was made on Calvary. Sin wasn't just evaporated. It was all placed on the Son, Jesus. If it was just evaporated and just gone, we would look at others and say, why would we even try, right? That's not justice. Perfect justice was served that day on Calvary because all of my sin and your sin was placed on Christ, and he paid that price. So he lived the life you could not, and he died a death you deserved. He paid your price in full. The judge can be just in that your sins were not just forgotten but paid in full. Thus God is just to free you on his son's payment for your sins. That's what it means when it says he came to destroy the works of the devil. He didn't just destroy them. He took them completely away. He destroyed the works of the dragon, and it was God's plan before the foundation of the world to buy your pardon in his son on Calvary's tree. This is why God raised him from the dead. Acts 2.22 through two, uh, verses 24 says this, Men of Israel, this is Peter's preaching, by the way. We've uh, lifted that up quite high in the book of Acts, as we do in Sunday school every morning from 10 to 11 o'clock. Men of Israel, hear these words. Hear them well. People of Park Bible Baptist Church, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him, in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, he was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You, 
crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was impossible, not possible for him to be held by death. So as those first century Jews did, what was the deepest in their heart to do to bring death to our Savior? They meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. He took the evil and the avarice of their hearts and brought salvation into the world and the destruction of death and sin. Jesus, in his obedience to the covenant of redemption, destroyed the dragon, destroyed death. Another verse, because I can't stand it, i got to keep going. 2 Timothy 1, verses 9 through 10. Paul's talking about salvation here, and he's, he's admonishing young Timothy. He's saying, man, stick with it. Keep preaching. This gospel that saved you, this gospel is going to save the hearers that, that come to hear it, and it's going to continue to save us. Listen, it's all, the, all that we ever need. If you would just stop and think about this momentarily, it's all that we ever need because not only does it make us right with God, it begins to make us right with reality and the rest of life. The gospel saves us in a point in time, but it's continuing to save us until God calls us home. It's sanctifying us. It's dragging us out of this world. It's helping us see God. It's helping us see reality. The beginning of the wisdom is the fear of the Lord, and it's in the fear of the Lord of the understanding of God and his greatness. And by the way, that's why Paul is, is praying. He says, I want them to know the wisdom and revelation of God, right? So that when we rightly know God, we rightly know God's plan, and we quit fearing all of man's plan, right? <laughs> that's what we preach. That's why you need the gospel every week. That's why I need it every day of my life. That's why the first psalm says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sets in the seat of scoffers. For his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on the law of the Lord he meditates day and night. He'll be like a tree planted by streams of water who yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf never withers. In all that he does, he prospers. Why? Because his promises are made and found in Scripture and what the Lord's doing. Paul's saying this, 2 Timothy 1, 9 through 10, He who saved us and called us to a holy calling. That's what God's doing. Not because of our works, not because of our righteousness, but because of his own purpose and grace. That's what we're talking about in Ephesians. This was his will. All of this his will. When we see it from his perspective down to us, it's, it's much different, right? Which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Do you hear all these words? How repetitive they are through a scripture that he chose us before the foundation of the world that he gave us in Christ before the ages began do you see God's sovereignty here in all of scripture and verse 10 says and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our savior Christ Jesus who abolished death Death for the believer is gone. We're going to get into more of that. Now by the appearing of our Savior Jesus, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. But the scripture doesn't stop there. It goes further, right? If you want to hear this all day, I can find it everywhere in the scripture, and we can just go over these grand truths. Time and time again, Christ in his resurrection not only took the sting of death from us, but he hath destroyed the one who wields the power of death, the dragon. Hebrews 2, 14, 15, kind of the exalted part of this. Now I got one more later. I don't want to lie to you. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook on the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has 
power over death. In other words, he became a man so he could die like a man and destroy the one who has power over the death, that is the devil, I call him the dragon, and deliver all those who through from the fear of death who were subject to lifelong slavery because of death. That is the most glorious truth ever pronounced from the scripture is that we can have no fear over death and the one who brings death. He is defeated today before you in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Defeated. Resurrection, destruction of the dragon, ascension, delivering of the saints. That's what this verse is portraying in verse 20 is that God raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand. This was always the plan. It wasn't God was making it up as he goes along because Jesus would come to victory and live a perfect life and die a death on our behalf and be raised, ascended to the right hand of power to carry out everything until his enemies were made his footstool. This is why Paul prayed, beloved, we need to first know that beyond a shadow of a doubt that the dragon is defeated and that his most potent weapon, death, is gone forevermore. This truth affords believers with the ultimate reality of the impotence of death, the failure of death, that death here, physical death for the believer, is the moment by which we are finally delivered from death here. (laughs) Paul says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trump shall resound, and the dead shall be uh, raised, and we shall be changed. He says, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. For when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then is brought to pass the saying that is written, that death, even death, is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Paul makes fun of death. Where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? For the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is in the law. But thanks be to God, beloved, who has brought our victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) That's where he ends it. Death is gone. If you still think it's a part of your life, quit. You're foolish. Stop. Understand the promises that Jesus was raised from the dead, and the moment you leave this place, you'll stand there in victory. Death will be no more. Live like it. Be bold. You can do anything. You're immortal until the day you die. That's what the resurrection and the ascension mean. How was death defeated? It's one short answer. Christ died to destroy death, and God raised him up out of the grave to show his great pleasure and assurance of that accomplishment. And through that came a promise to each one of us that he would raise us just the same. Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for you, as much as you know that your labor is never, ever going to be in vain in the Lord Jesus Christ. All of your labor here will be in vain short of that. But now there's more, and we're not left alone in this fight. We have an eternal advocate We're not left alone in this fight, but God hath exalted him to the right hand of power and majesty, whereby Christ reigns over all power and authority. This is the ascension of Christ to heaven. Luke says in in chapter 24, verses 50 through 53, And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands and blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple blessing God. They understood what the ascension meant. The ascension meant that 
he came, and he pulled out his sword in the way that he was uh, accustomed to do, which was dying. That's what our Jesus did. He didn't fight an earthly fight. He overcame the devil by death, and he overcame the devil by the love for his people and want to glorify his Father. And when Jesus ascended at the end of the Gospels, they understood what that meant. They knew that they were on their own, but the Holy Spirit would come and empower them. And that's why we see such great boldness, because they understood that Jesus was now Lord of Lord and King of Kings. He had defeated the greatest enemy. It was gone washed out completely out of their way, and he was ascended to the place where he would sit until all of his enemies were made his footstool. This is great triumph in the Bible. This is greatly lauded in our scriptures. Look at Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. He said, I saw in the night visions that behold, with the clouds of heaven there come one like the Son of Man. This is this is working on thousands of years before the ascension. I see one coming like the Son of Man, that's Jesus. And he came to the Ancient of Days, that's the Father. He came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. This is the ascension, beloved. Daniel is prophesying what was to come after Christ's death and victory over Satan. And he was presented before the Ancient of Days. And listen to this. This is what the ascension means. It's all over scripture. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. That all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion and it will not pass away. And his one in his kingdom, one that will never be destroyed. That's what the ascension means that it's the beginning of the reign of the king who was to come, the Messiah who would wipe out death for all of God's people. It was a great, listen, <laughs> turn to Revelation 5. This is how sermons get so long. Turn to Revelation chapter 5 with me. This is the most glorious story of the ascension. I don't know if you've stopped and thought about when Revelation 5 takes place. Have you ever done that? Have you ever stopped and said, what, what moment in time scripturally, what part of redemptive history is this? This is the part where the king comes to the kingdom and he's ascended to the throne and the ancient of days declares this is the king. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. You see it in Isaiah, you see it in Daniel, you see it here in chapter 5. The whole of kingdoms, the kingdom's uh, subjects, all of the angels of heaven, ten thousands upon ten thousands, Start away in praise when they see this king, the one who's going to sit on the throne and reign forever and ever. Uh, John writes these words. See, John, John's heart here is going back and forth, and I, I love this story. I've preached this several weeks ago. John writes 5.1, Then I saw on the right hand of him a, who was seated on a throne, a, that's the Ancient of Days from Daniel, that's the Father, a scroll written within and on the back and sealed with seven seals, it was a title deed to the earth, beloved. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who, who's, who's worthy to do this? Who, who's worthy to open this scroll and to break its seals? Who's worthy to claim the prize of all of creation? And verse 3, and no one in heaven or earth and under the earth was able to open the scroll and look into it. That means Moses, and that means all the great men that came, great men and women. Nobody was found there in heaven, above earth, under the earth. Nobody was found. 
And I began to weep, John says, because nobody was found to open that scroll and to take it and to finish this whole thing, right? Verse 5, but one of the elders said to me, don't weep, John, weep no more. The line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he is conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And John looked in between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, and I saw a little lamb standing as though it had been slain. It's seven horns, seven eyes, and with seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took that scroll from the right hand of the Ancient of the Days who was seated on the throne. Verse 8, and when he had taken the scroll, listen, this is his ascension. This is his approach to the Ancient of Days. And this is God's reward for the work that Jesus did. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb each holding a harp, a golden bowls full of incense, which were the prayers of the saints. And they began to sing this new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you've ransomed a people for God, from every tribe, every language, and every people, and every nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. And John looked around there, verse 11, and I heard around the throne these living creatures and these elders and the voice of many angels, all of heaven, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands upon thousands, saying with one loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all of them saying to him who sits on the throne to the Lamb, Be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. That's what happened when Christ ascended the throne. And it's still taking place today. And it'll be taking place on the day that you leave the place of death and stand and ascend to, to the same heaven where Christ is at this very moment. And you'll see the victory. If you can't see it now, you'll see it then. I hope that you can see it now because it means a much different life. The living king reigns on Zion and over all of creation from this time forth and forevermore. He is high in the highest heaven, ruling over every created power and authority, and none can refute his unconvertible, incontrovertible sovereignty. None can thwart his will, and ten thousands and ten thousands of heavenly hosts stand daily not only to sing his praises, but ready to carry out his sovereign will at a moment's notice. This exaltation of Christ to the right hand in heaven is so great a statement of eternal, immutable sovereignty that words from mere creatures are scant bits of piecemeal information trying to apprehend the incomprehensible glory of our God and his plan. God raised him from the dead. It's the ultimate acting of God's power and a show of his dominance and ability to bring to pass everything that he has promised, everything that he has purposed, everything that is in his will, and utterly, utterly defeat all darkness has ever brought or will ever bring to bear. This is the ultimate triumph. This is the victory over all the dark powers over all of evil, over all of the disquiet that brings fear, over all of it, God's king reigns. What then is our work as dragon slayers in this place, right? How then shall we live knowing these truths? Well, beloved, we, we live in victory. I don't care what's going on in your life. Jesus is Lord. I know death is a dark enemy, and it's fearful, but Jesus is Lord. 
I know the world is a dark place. Man, I watch the news with you guys. I need to turn it off more often and read my Bible. But Jesus is Lord. The same Jesus that brought about all this praise in heaven when he ascended is still receiving that praise today. Not one thing's changed for him. How does the devil get his way in this world? A foothold into our lives, into people's lives, by spreading his lies and death, because he is the father of lies, and all he does comes by deception, and one must be wise in the fear of the Lord. Christ doth ever live and continually intercedes the Father on our behalf for the building up of our faith and the boldness of our works here in this place. And the dragon doth continually try by deception to tear us down in our sin and are continually prowls about looking for one to devour. And he wants to sift us, as, as Jesus said about Peter. He wants to sift us like wheat, and he who neither sleeps nor slumbers is our champion. Be sober-minded, be watchful, Peter says. Your adversary, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith. Consequently, in Hebrews 7.25, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to him, uh, draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession continually for them. Christ is our champion, beloved. He is continually delivering those who by faith are trusting him alone. And are being delivered from the slavery of the fear of the works and power of the dragon. Therefore, we need to be ever vigilant and increasingly bold in our lives. I tell you, when you take a stand for Christ is when the attacks come, but you're never more stronger than when the day comes that you decide to stand and doing so in standing in the Lord. I promise you that. The greatest fear of your life may be sharing the gospel with somebody, somebody, some stranger that you don't even know, and you, you walk up to him and you say that Jesus loves you, and I want to tell you about that, and that fear just evaporates, and this strong desire to do the Lord's work comes over you in a way that you've never experienced before. He will do that because he's already slayed the death, and the devil knows that he can't stop you. Listen, um, back there in the back, I just want to make mention of this. And and if everybody turns around right now, I think you can see it through that window. See that big board that says our missionaries there? I don't know. It's underneath of it's about a six-foot, six-foot square. It's totally blank. And some other pastors should have noticed this by now, but I was just noticing this this week. It's just totally blank under that. And I know that it's talking about the missionaries on each side that we support with our tithes and our offerings. But under that sign, there's a big blank area. And you know what I wish? You know what I wish you would understand? That you would walk up there one morning, one Sunday morning, and put a picture of yourself right there under that. I want you to be bold. Christ comes to you in a way you've never imagined the more you share your faith and the bolder you become. Read about Paul. Read about Peter. He came to them in such a way that they were killed for what they believed, and they praised God for that while they were being killed. That's not of this earth. That's because the power of the dragon was overcome. You read about Stephen in chapter 7 of the book of Acts? He could see the Son of God standing at the right hand. There's such great comfort and power when you finally understand that the devil's been defeated and you begin the work of the Lord. I encourage you to that this morning. If everybody wants to bring their picture next week and just stick it on the wall there, I think that'd be the greatest thing in the world. Don't you? There's plenty of room there. All of us would fit. Let's put our pictures there. 
Let's do that. The promise is Jesus came and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even till the end of this age. Father, he, all powers are put under his feet, and he is the head of the church. Do you see that there in, in, in verse 22? Uh, go back to verse 21 in Ephesians 1. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come, and put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. I don't know who else you're going to roll with, brother. If you pick out somebody from this world to roll with, you're not going to roll like you roll if you roll in the church. There is no Lord like this Lord. There is no power like this power. There are no promises like the ones he has made. He is head over all things to the church, which is his body, that is us. We have that same victory because God, as it says in 1 Corinthians 15, has put all things in subjection under his feet. He reigns. He fills heaven. <laughs> the praises of him fill heaven, and it never stops. Beloved, who is to condemn us? This is where I'm going to leave you this morning. Romans 8, who can condemn you? Who can condemn Who's got greater power than this one that I've explained to you? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who then shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long, yes. Regarded as sheep to be slaughtered by this world. No. In all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord, blessed be his name forever and ever. Beloved, no little bit of your life will ever see death. Do you believe this? Gracious Heavenly Father, as we come to a close this morning, the absolute glorious truth is that the powers of darkness, the whole world, the whole world saw the powers of darkness put your son in the grave. Hmm. But the promise was this. It was by that blow to his heel that he would crush the head of all those powers. And he has perfectly done so. And as you raised him from the grave, that triumphant sign of life that precious promise to us that we will all be likewise raised to life. That death here is not the end, but the beginning of the fulfillment of the witness of all of our eyes of the promises of your love. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest is love. Because on the day that we stand in, the, in your presence, 
Faith and hope won't be necessary. It'll just be love. Beloved uh, Father, Lord, work in the hearts of your people.